I'm reading a book about hell. Well, that got your attention. Hello, everybody. Brian Sussman here, Faith, Family, Freedom. This is episode number 111. The book I'm reading about is not the book of Revelation from the Bible. It's a book by C.S. Lewis written in 1945 entitled The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce, 1945. That was some time ago. But what he's writing in this book just so relates today here in the United States of America now more than ever. So this particular subject who's speaking in this book is on a train bound for hell. It's actually a flying train, but it's a train bound for hell. And he's meeting a number of people in this particular train Uh, The first person that we're going to talk about, this is from chapter two, is a guy who's telling him everything about himself. So the guy sitting next to our subject is a talker, is a talker. His parents had never appreciated him, I'm reading here, and none of the five schools at which he had been educated seemed to have made any provision for his talent and a temperament such as his. So he went to five different schools. Hmm, that tells you something. Slacker, perhaps? Troublemaker? Hmm. Underachiever? Maybe. To make matters worse, he'd been exactly the sort of boy in whose case the examination system, the school system, works out with the maximum unfairness and absurdity. See, the schools are unfair. What, 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 are, we, what are we seeing today in this country? I just re- read that the SATs are being dumbed down. It's now gone from a three-hour examination. Back when I took the SAT, it was a lot longer than three hours. It's gone from a three-hour examination down to two. And oh, by the way, for the math section, you can use a calculator. (laughs) Things are being dumbed down because we want everyone to pass. We want everybody to get a high grade point average. We want everybody to get into the college of their choice. We want everybody to major in some ridiculous major that will only benefit the staff at the school because they're going to get paid. And when you get out of school, you'll have debt and you won't be able to get a job. It was not, generally speaking, for most majors, that's how it works. It was not until he reached the university that he began to recognize that all of these injustices did not come by chance, but were the inevitable results of our economic system. Aha! He's a victim! That's the problem. He's a victim. Look what's happening in the United States today. We have a victim mentality, an absolute victim mentality that's been festered by the left for many, many years. It's called social justice or social injustice, if you will. And so now we have entire classes of people or entire, shall we say, groups of people who are the oppressed. And there's another group that's the oppressor. And the group that's the oppressor came up with the system of capitalism. And it's just darned unfair because not everybody's going to make it. Well, can I tell you something? Even in the group that's stereotypically known as the oppressor, there are lots and lots of people who don't make it either. But nonetheless, I digress and get back to this book by C.S. Lewis. Capitalism did not merely enslave workers, this seatmate is saying, it also vulgarized intellect, hence our educational system, hence the lack of recognition for new genius. This discovery made him a communist. 
we're we're at a situ we're at a point in time here in the United States, probably throughout the entire West, where children are being recognized and praised for the silliest things. Everybody gets a participation trophy these days. Uh, when you're participating in team events as a youth, of course, they don't keep score officially, but every child knows the score of the game. Every parent knows the score of the game, but they don't keep score. If they do keep score and winners and losers are decided, at the end of the year, there may be a first place team and there may be a second place team and there may be a third place team, but everybody gets a participation trophy. You know, I was really grateful for those team sports where we, we had a bad season and we didn't get garbage. We didn't get anything. We didn't get anything. Because the next year it made us work harder to get better. I really appreciated those times in life where track, it's an individual sport. Gosh, I was, I was so proud when I made it into, uh, when I became a finalist during a, 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 a multi-team meet. That was always exciting. And the years where I was on a relay and we almost made it to the state championship, but didn't quite. Well, the next year, guess what? We tried all the harder because we really wanted to make it. It made us train harder in the off season. It made us more disciplined. It made us more resolute. It, these are character builders, but the left doesn't want that. You see, the left wants the government to supply all of your needs. They'll give you the praise. They'll give you the recognition. They'll take care of your bottom line. They'll give you all that you need. And those damned oppressors will take care of them. We'll make sure that they are taken care of accordingly. I was reading an interesting article. This is from Psych Alive, Psych Alive. And it's an article written by Elisa Firestone, the problem with overpraising children. Uh, th this, is, this is not a Christian article, but I think it touches on some real truths. Self-esteem, she writes, isn't about telling kids that everything they do is terrific. That's what we're doing now. Every, everything, I'm watching little babies learning how to walk. Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, listen, I'm grateful that the child is walking. It is really cool. Um, but let's, let's let the praise, let's let the praise moderate a bit as the child grows older. Those first two, those first few steps are awesome. There's no question about that. <laughs> but as they start taking the steps of life, we can't be praising everything under the sun. We've got to know when to step back and say, Hey son, Hey daughter, that is not good. That's going to get you in trouble. That won't fly in this house. Those grades need to be better. Okay, if you're really serious about this instrument, you need to be practicing more. Otherwise, I'm not paying for the lessons any longer. Do you know what I mean? So going back to her, her words here, a real sense of self-worth is based on the skills they build for themselves and the true accomplishments they feel they've made. However, many parents have the tendency to build up their kids with false or exaggerated statements. For example, she writes, instead of saying, what a creative painting, you have really worked hard on that. They say something like, wow, what a wonderful artist you are. 
You are so talented. You're the best painter I've ever seen. Well, there may be a point in time for, this is me talking now, there may be a point in time for that kind of praise. But there comes another point in time where that kind of praise is, is ridiculous, quite frankly. It's not going to help your child. It's really not going to help them at all. Uh, I'm thinking of, <laughs> I'm thinking of my daughter, who is who's become a very successful woman in her own right and a, a wonderful mother. And she, and by the way, a, a really great daughter. But uh, and those are all, I'm, I'm, those are all attributes and praises and recognitions that are perfectly applicable. Anybody who knows her would say, "You're totally right on that." I remember when she was playing the piano. We decided we would we would provide her with piano lessons. I thought that was my wife and I thought that was something that was very important for for a round, well rounded uh, child. It, it became apparent she was tone deaf. <laughs> I I can say that because you know, I I've been a musician my entire life and God gave me a gift and that gift was not being tone deaf. That gift was I could. I could actually play an instrument fairly well. Uh, but my daughter, God bless her, just didn't have that particular talent. She was tone deaf. Uh, she just, it was, music was not working out for her. Now we could have praised her from one side up and down to the other. Guess what? She would have gotten to that final recital and she would have sounded terrible. And, and then what are we supposed to do? Oh, honey, you're so good. Oh, no, it's like, there came a point in time where we said, you know what, daughter? I don't think this is working out real well for you. We didn't want to hurt her feelings. But when we gave her that news, you know what she said? Whew, okay, good. I didn't think this was working out so well either. <laughs> so there are times in life where that, that kind of, oh, you're, you're a wonderful pianist, daughter. You are so great. That composition was played with perfect. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, no. You need to stop playing the piano. <laughs> Getting back to this article. Yet, uh, most parents do this innocently in effort to make their kids feel good about themselves. Yet, on certain or even unconscious levels, they may be trying to compensate for their own lacking childhoods. It's very possible. Or they may build up or avoid criticism in the interest of being liked by their children. Bad idea. Listen, I want my children to respect me. And at the end of the day, I really want to have them to like me and for me to be their friend. When I'm talking end of the day, I'm talking about after they've left the house. But in the meantime, while they're in that house, I'm in charge of them. I'm in charge. I, I am charged with, what, what does the Bible say? So what are the Ten Commandments? We talked about that in the last podcast. Don't provoke, uh, don't provoke your children. Actually, it's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of Paul's commandments. Children, uh, respect your parents. And then parents, don't provoke your children. I don't want to provoke them by being a jerk to them. But sometimes I will tell them things they don't want to hear. Because I'm trying to build within them character. I'm trying to build within them a foundation for life. And it's, it's going to be realistic. You need to learn how to clean up your room. It's going to be very important when you become an adult. You need to learn to go out and, and get a job in high school. 
even if the job isn't that fun because I want you to learn how to work and value a dollar, right? If you're going to if you're going to participate in that sport, I want you to be fully committed to that sport. Even if it turns out you're not really fit for that sport, you need to finish the season. You made a commitment, you're going to finish the season and then we'll talk about next year. So, th- this is being a parent. But you're right. I meet so many parents, especially nowadays, but I suppose it's always been, even the time of C.S. Lewis, they want to be liked by their children. I'll often, when I was a parent uh, raising young kids, I would tell my kids things they didn't like because I knew it was for their own good. Sometimes it was very difficult for me. It was often easier for my wife, but very difficult for me. Continuing in this article, they may even believe on some level that their child is great, amazing, superior, because they want to be the parent of a great artist or a great athlete or a great writer or a great student to buoy their own self-esteem. So continuing with this, trouble arises when the parent does not fully appreciate or realize the impact they're having as a lead influence on the person the child will become. While it may seem innocent at the moment, overpraising can have adverse long-term effects. Uh, what are those effects? Well, feelings of entitlement. That's just what we were reading in this book from C.S. Lewis. Feelings of inadequacy. And what happens when there's inadequacy? You start blaming other people, which is what happened in this book with C.S. Lewis's character, as well as what we're seeing in the world today. Life becomes a big disappointment. And again, that's part of the blame game. It's not my fault. It's their fault. I'll find, I'll find somebody to make the bad guy. And it goes on from there. Let me pivot at this point to talk about biblical encouragement. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 3, Hebrews chapter 3, 13 tells us, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's sin all around us. It's deceitful. We need to encourage one another. The times in which we live in can be very difficult, and some of you are going through some very difficult times. We need to encourage one another, the Bible says. What does Jesus tell us? John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was realistic about the troubles this world can bring. He didn't say, turn to communism, become a victim, blame everyone else. No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Put your trust in me. Let's continue with this because I'm certainly getting something out of it. Encouragement makes it easier for us to live in a fallen world. We can live in a fallen world in a holy way with encouragement. Not false encouragement, realistic encouragement. Encouragement makes it easier to love as Jesus loved. Encouragement gives us hope. Encouragement helps us through times of of testing. Encouragement nurtures other gifts like patience and kindness. Without encouragement, life would soon feel pointless and burdensome. What's what's the best way to encourage someone? Not, Not with false phony words, not with words of praise and recognition that are silly. The best form of encouragement is a friend. 
hey, thinking of you. That's, that's a nice, easy text message. Hey, thinking of you today. Hey, praying for you today. I've, I've sent out a couple of texts like that er, earlier today. Hey, thinking of you. Hey, praying for you. Hey, really want to get together soon. And by, by the way, I mean all those things. I am praying. I am thinking. I really do want to get together. That's the kind of encouragement that's godly. That's the kind of encouragement God wants us to employ in our lives. Okay, let's go beyond a text message. How about a surprise phone call? Bring, hey, great to talk with you. How you doing? That's a word of encouragement. Hey, let's get together for lunch and let's really get together for lunch. That's encouragement. And even in places where Christians experience hatred, and where life really is difficult, encouragement can can change a soul. Makes it easier to live in a fallen world, as I just mentioned. Without encouragement, life is pointless. Life is burdensome. We're overwhelmed. We feel unloved. You see, that subject in C.S. Lewis's Bible, he needed some godly encouragement when he was a kid instead of false praise. He needed godly encouragement even as an adult to keep him from going to hell. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You want to be encouraged? Start reading God's word. Thank you for joining me, everyone. Brian Sussman Show, Faith, Family, Freedom. As always, I ask you to be my ambassadors to this program. Get the word out. It's so difficult for me because I've been so challenged by the various platforms. But nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed this. I would like to give thanks out also to gotquestions.com and an article I was just referring to at the very end of this podcast episode, Why is Encouragement So Important According to the Bible? God bless you, my friends. Until next time.